This is RDQI. This episode of RDQI is brought to you by Captain Vita. You want to come in and burn your face up? But well, we got spicy meatballs, and not to mention the fire unique sandwich. Yes, that's right, the fire unique. So hot, it's gonna burn your face off. Cafe Vita, located at Raymond and Wish Drive. Ryan, are you a feminist? Absolutely. Especially if your definition of feminism is that men and women are essentially equal or should be treated equally. Then, yeah, I think... um, I would fall under that category. How about you, Dave? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and while I think there's, you know, we're we're certainly completely qualified to talk about this topic as two white men, uh, <laughs> but just to be on the safe side, uh, I want to welcome Eileen back to the the program. Hey guys, thanks for having me back again. That's great to have you back. Are you a feminist? Especially because Dave and I need a lot of help. <laughs> I am a feminist, and I think it's good to talk about the actual definition of a feminist because it's a term that has been thrown around a lot in a negative connotation. I think mostly from backlash of political and um, gender equality movements that is taking kind of... Um, something like a feminazi was something that Rush Limbaugh really popularized Mm -hmm. and kind of made this picture of a career obsessed, crazy person. But really being a feminist just means you believe that men and women are equal. And it also doesn't mean that we expect everybody to be the exact same. Like feminism doesn't push for a bunch of androgynous people walking around, you know, wearing capes and not being able to identify or celebrate who you are. (laughs) It just means that by and large, men and women are equal in all respects. So I feel like the term is, has gotten just really polluted where it almost doesn't mean anything anymore because of what you just said, the Rush Limbaugh of the world, you know, turning it into this evil, horrible thing. And maybe we should talk about why feminism arose in the first place, right? Because if if the feminism is a belief that men and women are equal, then the only reason for its existence is that it was born in a world where men and women were not equal, right? Mm-hmm. I, I follow you there, Dave. That makes sense. And I mean, we're I, I, we're we're absolutely still in that world today, right? Because you know, I I mean, I. Eileen, you and I have worked together um, a couple different times, and we've you know worked for companies that, um, you know, really kind of head on address that problem. And in doing so, they really you know the statistics and things that come out, it's very clear that yeah, there is a problem, right? You know, we were joking before the call that, um, you know, of the Fortune 500 companies, how many of those are helmed by women? Right. The C-suite is very lowly um, represented by females. So I think a good way to talk about this in more fact-based is through the gender pay gap that we know exists right now. 
um, depending on different studies that you look at, I've seen it be as low as 73 cents per dollar that a female makes versus a male versus maybe 80 cents. Just for, you know, consistency purposes, I'm going to just say about a quarter. You know, women make about 25% less than men. There's a lot. I mean, there's obviously a ton of data you can slice in a bunch of different ways to look at this. Yeah. So that's that's the way that will, you know, I think a, a way for us to kind of quantify of ways that maybe the genders are not equal right now. You know, Dave, you and I have talked about value. And in that, we kind of touched on something that's connected to this, which is the idea of division of labor and who does what and you know, we were talking about it from like, you know, a small village, like who goes and picks berries and who goes, you know, farms carrots, that sort of thing. But that's become, in our society at least, to some point, it got to this point where we're saying the division of labor isn't working anymore and it's certainly not fair. I think that that leads into a broader topic about why men and women make different amounts in a mm-hmm. traditional workforce. And there's actually a bunch of great studies that have been performed. It's something that economists has have been fascinated about over time. Um, there's one study led by a Harvard economist where she really spent time looking at why the gender pay gap exists. And first, you know, is it based off of discrimination? And, you know, to our opening, if we all agree that we're feminists and we, for the most part, don't believe that people actively discriminate. And by that, I mean, you know, Dave and I both walk into a job interview with the same resume, the same skills, and I am not hired simply because of the fact that I am female. Mm-hmm. Um, if if that, you know, if we believe most people are inherently good and that is a non-issue, then, then what is it, you know? So one of the theories is that men are better negotiators and that they're getting in and they're just negotiating better salary. But what they found is that starting salaries at you know big firms and at corporations and things are pretty even. So that kind of debunks that theory. And I'm majorly summarizing this. Um, and along with that is the fact that like, you know, men are more competitive and they're going to be more aggressive, which makes them better negotiators. But again, that is all being negated. The data Mm -hmm. just doesn't support that as a reason why. Um, Really what they're finding is that whenever caregiver obligations come into play, and it's traditionally called the mommy tax, but I'll call it caregiver because there's other ways that, Mm -hmm. you know, people end up caring for aging parents or people in your family. And really what you're asking for in your workplace and what you need now is the flexibility or your time becomes a lot more valuable. And that's when you start to see more of a split because to your point, Ryan, where we are is that women overwhelmingly take over the caregiving roles and it doesn't even have to be your own children even if you know your partner's parents are sick and need uh, need some help it's the female in a in in that case in a heterosexual relationship the female would be the one who is providing the care and would 
take a step back mm-hmm. in her career. Yeah, and you can even see this in another way to slice some data is if you look at, um, I pulled some data from the U.S. Department of Labor and looking at where, what job fields are women the majority in. And if you look at the list, it's like, oh, these are professional caregivers. So even on like a, a gainfully employed position, let's say, where you're earning salary or some financial compensation, it's still kind of implicitly like, yeah, women are better at this. I've even, so my wife is a nurse and I've talked to um, a bunch of her friends and peers who are men. And there's a, a push inside nursing to get more men into nursing because there's a bunch of research indicating that if you get a more 50-50 equal balance between men and women in nursing, you'll actually get better results. Now, I don't, I don't, I can't explain that data. I couldn't tell you anything about it, but I can tell you there's a trend inside nursing to change the balance to a different skew, which is kind of, isn't the inverse of trying to close the pay gap that we're talking about, but kind of an interesting like subslice to everything we're talking about here. Now that's definitely true, Ryan. And you actually bring up another point about why we see a pay disparity between men and women is that there are just some occupations that either gender don't tend to enter. Um, And we could unpack about why women go towards more of the caretaker (laughs) um, roles. You know, is it because society pushes it on us and it's expected of us and then inherently we spend our time there because we're encouraged and then we just get to be better about it? Um, That would be a whole other topic. I can tell you as the mother of a three-year-old girl that I have never handed her a doll. She just (laughs) loves her dolls. (laughs) And there's all kinds of... All kinds of things to that. But things like um, where ownership is involved, Mm -hmm. that is something that typically women do not own as many businesses as men. And the reason going back to they want the flexibility. You know, if you own your own business, you are never on a vacation pretty much. I mean, unless you have a, you know, partnership. But you're on the hook and that is typically something that women have shied away from because of wanting the ability to be flexible for their caregiving needs. Can I ask you guys a question? So I think there's two problems. There is women getting paid less for doing the same role as a man. And then there is a lack of representation in higher C-suite or you know upper management type positions um, with with women, right? Just men are just far more overrepresented in that in that upper echelon of the pyramid of a corporation. That's not the same problem necessarily. Do you think there are different drivers, or are they pretty much linked? Well, let me tell you what the data supports in for what you just said. The first point. It does show that men and women, when they perform the same task, are actually paid pretty similarly. What happens is after they get put, after the caregiver functionality comes into life in whatever function that comes in, whether that's a child, you know, parents, whoever, that's when women are not taking or even offered necessarily the more interesting, well, I'll call it interesting. That's, that's, I know that's an objective term, but (laughs) the, you know, they're not asked to be on the highly visible, but demanding 
project mm-hmm. where you're going to get called at two in the morning. They want you, you know, at a four hour somewhere at a four hour plane ride away, you know, yeah. that day that those things drive potentially more revenue to your corporation or your firm or whoever you're working for. And then you'll get rewarded for that. So there is definitely a direct link of how much time you're willing to give to your employer and then how much you're going to be compensated for that. You know, going part time tends to lead to not just, you know, the cut in pay for whatever, you know, proportion that you're cutting back, but that's usually not where the promotions are given. That's usually not mm-hmm. where the pool of money goes. And then you tend to, even if you only go part-time briefly, you tend to have to work a lot harder to get back to where you used to be. Mm. Yeah. So, so while I'm sure there are people who are, you know, not, uh, not great people and not well-meaning, I think a lot more people are well-meaning and, and would would want to do everything they can to fix this problem. Um, however, I think you know what you were were sort of talking about, Eileen, is um, you know there's there's momentum in a career. That's a that's a big deal. I mean, you and I have both have experienced that where there's momentum, momentum, and then that's sort of what kind of propels you forward. And um, the way that you know maternity leave is is set up is I mean you take a pause like you you push press pause on your career and i mean i just did a similar thing not for obviously not not maternity <laughs> leave um but i took a leave of absence and um for almost four months uh and i mean i i set myself back substantially by doing that i can see it you know nobody will tell you that but i can absolutely see all of a sudden you know my my place in the pipeline for promotions has gone down other people have surpassed me um, and I, you know, is, is that right? No, but I think there's a, there's a business reason for it. I mean, especially in these fortune 500 companies, um, you know, speed and agility is, is just paramount. And, you know, if you are on track to do, to, to, you know, go to a certain role, go to a certain, um, you know, growth position that the company needs, if all of a sudden you step out and take a pause, well, that still needs to happen, right? Like that growth opportunity isn't going away and they have to fill that role with somebody. They're going to fill it with somebody else. So what's the solution to that problem? I wish it was very simple (laughs) and it's interesting. So you know, I'm I'm in upper management at a Fortune 500 company. I also literally just this week got back from a six-month leave from having children. And I definitely know that leading up to it, um, I have a sales component that I need to hit to get compensated. And, you know, there was certainly a lot of nerves. You know, there there that is a bit black and white, right? You either hit your numbers or you don't. But... Along with that, I think that there is the mindset to invest, and by invest, I mean reward your employees based off of their potential and not necessarily about the what exactly have you done for me right now, which is certainly 
necessary. I mean, if somebody has an extraordinary accomplishment, then certainly should be rewarded. Mm -hmm. But I think when you take into the future aspect and play more of the long game, that's how you can really start to close this gap. I mean, we also live in the United States where we're, I think we're the only country that does not have mandatory, like federally mandatory caregiver leave. Yeah, in the Western developed world. Yes. So by and large, broader society does not invest. Our government doesn't invest in the future generations. And I mean, children, not, this isn't cliche. They literally are our future. <laughs> it's our future <laughs> workforce. It's, you know, the future people that are going to pay the taxes that are going to pay for our health care when we're older. Um, but there isn't a commitment right now, which is a whole other thing we could, you know, I could can imagine I could go on a rant about that, but, um, <laughs> that really even just a- allocating funds to the future of, of the country and helping protect jobs and pay people when they're on parental leave. And a lot of countries, it's, it's not just the mother, it's, it's the mother and the father, um, or, you know, the two, both parents, I should say, that are being taken care of. Mm-hmm. Well, so, so, you know, recently you've seen a lot of changes in, you know, I, I think the, not to get political, but frankly, the U.S. government is letting us down in this regard. I think that's a pretty objective fact, right? Especially when you yes. look at, you know, European uh, government provisions for both maternal and parental leave. For sure. I got so many comments from a lot of people, all Americans, though, because <laughs> I work with a lot of international people, um, of like, wow, you had such a long leave. And then on the opposite side of the other corners of the world, they're like, wow, you, that's gotta be so hard that you're just, you're going back now and you still have babies, but it's, yeah, it's just. Czech Republic is, I believe, six months minimum at full pay. And then you can extend it up to three years at like varying degrees of pay. I think it's 50 though, 50% for three years. Even Canada. I mean, I could go, you know, whatever, 500 miles in the other, I should say it in meters, I guess, if we're talking about Canada. (laughs) They won't Uh, let you in with that miles nonsense. (laughs) They'll be like, how far do you drive? That's that's made up. Um, Yes. So not to belabor the point, but yes, in in the country we live in, it's it's set up, you know, that we just inherently don't invest in, in the future. However, I think a number of um, corporate. So you you know you and I have had what a decade ish in the workforce. Well, Ryan, you too. Um, you know I've seen things shift dramatically, and I mean I remember even talking with my with my mom about her taking you know maternity leave, and she took two weeks, and there was tremendous pressure to even do that. Like two she couldn't weeks. take a day after. Oh my two god, weeks. that's crazy. I, yeah, it's uh, but. But honestly, that's that is kind of unheard of today in the in the in the sphere that you and I inhabit. For sure, we're in the minority, the severe minority of what we have, because I yeah I've as I was really thinking through this and you know reading studies and watching um, you know videos and whatnot about what women have to go through on their postpartum period a lot of them are back to work. I mean, some of them only get four weeks and they, 
if their child goes to like the NICU or is still in the hospital, they go back to work, you know, the next day, you know, just sitting there like, how was your weekend, Karen? (laughs) It's like, well. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But, but, but I mean, okay. So, so let me ask you this, you know, there are the, the corporations are sort of taking up the mantle that has just frankly been dropped by, you know, government policies. Um, and they're pushing, and some companies are obviously pushing harder than others. And you know, you and I have worked for some that really, I I feel lead the pack um, in, you know, in trying to to push the agenda and really taking practical steps to address the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and and looking at it uh, from from a practical pragmatic standpoint, and you know, one of the one of the. Um, uh, I think I, I was listening to an interview um, and the, the person was talking about what's what's called the pipeline problem, right? So if women are underrepresented at the CEO level, then why wouldn't you just fire half the men and replace them with women? <laughs> I mean, that's the, that would solve the... Yeah. Obje- that would, Dave, on just paper, solve the problem. problem. <laughs> in like five seconds. This is brilliant. Keep going. Right. Um, but, but the problem is, is you take, you, you know, you take a CEO from a pool of, you know, one tier down senior directors at a, at a firm and all the senior directors are men. And then 90% of the senior managers are men. And then 70% of the managers are men. So, you know, it's, it's, how do you, how do you go from A to B? Well, there's, it's a journey, right? You have to bring and and push and exalt women from you know the bottom and push them up through an organization um so how's that done i think there's a couple of things first there has been growing momentum around a work-life balance that wasn't always the way it was phrased it used to be more about you know if you took time if you took extended time off you were in a caregiving role. So I think to the example, just between, you know, what I, what I took four or five months off to do and what you took four or five months off to do, you know, just in this past year. Right. Mm -hmm. So there is a more emphasis and understanding that that's needed in life and in, in your work and that people perform better when they have a work life balance. I know it's not perfect. I have a good friend who has been working for, I don't know, he's in his mid forties. He works for a fortune 500 company. He is single. So he often feels like when there is craziness and somebody's got to burn the mid-eyed oil that he's looked at a lot. And he has felt like in the last couple of years that there's been a better understanding that he also needs personal time <laughs> and, you know, things deserves extended time off, yeah. even though he's not, you know, becoming a new father or something like that. So I think with that, you know, push that I think millennials often get labeled as being lazy. <laughs> you know, I remember kind of that outcry when we were entering the workforce because oh, we yeah. Yeah. value more. Yeah. 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 Yes. But that's, that's something that I think is offering flexibility to everyone. Uh, the other thing I'm really interested to see is how the pandemic has its kind of staying power 
I'll say, and not in the sense of sickness. And, and by no means am I celebrating the pandemic. It's been <laughs> no, awful. It's been terrible. To for put it mildly. Oh, yeah. But especially for women, women with their caregiver roles have had to drop out in, in frightening numbers. But it has provided a lot of flexibility. And it'll be interesting to see what part of that stays and how in the longer run, hopefully not super long run, but those people who have needed that flexibility to be able to take care of the people they need to take care of and still be able to work will no longer be penalized for that. That's a that's a great point because I, I've seen this in my career. I mean, I think I've I've um, you know progressed fairly quickly because I I really sacrificed a lot of life and free time to, you know, I was, I was the guy who would do the work. I would be the one who'd stay into the office until, you know, 10 or 11 o'clock at night. Oh yeah. As somebody used to work with you, I can, <laughs> I can <laughs> <Right>? attest to that. <laughs> um, but I could do that because my life is unencumbered. You know, I don't have uh, like many people depending on me for care. Um, I just had the ability to do that. And I, I saw the, you know, the rewards in my career, um, you know, with the pandemic, I've seen this already that that um, competitive advantage, let's call it, is going away because, you know, I, you can, you know, well, you, you know, you know, you can work from home and kind of take care of your kids at the same time and then still sign on at nine o'clock, whereas you could never stay in the office until nine o'clock, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, you know, because you have three children waiting for you. Um, right. Or then, or the pressure of, look, I need you, you know, in like in California and you know, we live in Chicago, I need you there tomorrow for a meeting and all the hoops that you would need to jump, that I would need to jump through right now to be able to make it Yeah. as opposed to, you know, you, right. You could go without even blinking an eye. And another potential component of this is, Let's would would I be even be offered that? Would it just be assumed mm, right. that I don't want to go yep. because of my life and the things I have, you mm-hmm. know, going on? So that's another factor is without that representation and without women in upper management who have been able to make it work, who know that look, she, she doesn't, she wants to go to California, you know, and let her say no let women turn down assignments and projects but let's not avoid approaching them just because of what we know about their life and that is definitely something I've certainly experienced um is kind of this assumption and it's well-meaning you know like we said I don't believe anybody's actively discriminating nobody was is thinking well you know we can't send a woman there you know it's nothing (laughs) like that it's it's just the thought that there you with the caregiver role that there is less time able to give to you know some what could potentially be a high visible stressful crazy project Mm -hmm. you know part of the solution might also just be kind of a reframing of the problem as really an opportunity you know because if you think about it as a very corporate dave (laughs) seriously (laughs) <laughs> Welcome to the RDQI Hi. boardroom, led by Dave. <laughs> 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 
but I like it. Um, well, I, before you get there, I actually have a really, I don't want to sound like I'm the you know reality check police, but there's also, I mean, I think all of us would agree there's to some degree in business culture, don't stay in a job for more than two years, right? As a, as an individual, you're like, a, you got to keep moving, either being promoted or changing companies. And I think the, the amount of people who work for multiple companies over the course of their career is, I mean, that's pretty obviously through the roof compared to, you know, our parents' generation or even our grandparents' generation. So it sounds like the mechanism to bring better parity between the two from a systematic perspective is to ensure that potential is actualized over time but it's kind of tricky to actualize that potential if you don't know that person's going to be there in 10 years does that like how do how do you balance those two out against each other i think it's that emphasis on the future point you know and i've seen that in the companies that i worked for the progressive ones recently is you know when i started my career it was all about what you've done now you know in the company i'm working for now it's like five percent what you've done and 95 percent where you're going and what you have the potential to do um, I, I think that that's the paradigm shift that needs to happen because it's not who was the one who was in the office till 11 or who went to, you know, take the two year assignment in Tokyo or whatever it is. Like that's, that's not a, that's all that indicates is that you don't have a lot of other stuff going on in your life. Mm. It, you know, it's not dedication. It's not, you know, it's just that you have the ability to do it. Um, does not indicate that you're going to be the best person for the job going forward. Yeah. But that makes sense. But, to but me. going back to the, um, the, the diversity point, um, I, you know, if you, if you think about the problem as we, we just need to bring parity between the genders in the workforce. Um, well, what's the upside of that? Right. You know, it's like a kind of a good, um, analogy would be, um, you know, renewable energy. Like, well, that's great, but what does that do for me? You know, there's not a, um, like a, a selfish sort of motivation there, but I think what, I mean, I know I've seen, um, cause you know, my, my company is, uh, the one that I work for now is, is highly, um, pushing just diversity at all levels and all groups. And, there's massive benefits to that, right? Like you don't really run a good business if you're just with a bunch of people who live next door to you and have the exact same life experiences that you do. You know, you learn so much more, you come up with so much, so many better ideas when you have a diversity of experience and backgrounds and personalities within a team. Definitely. And I want to bring up that gender diversity and racial diversity are parallel things they're not they can't be solved by the same methods so I just want to recognize that there's a lot of work to be done for sure in the racial area and I don't want to be blind when we're speaking of this but I also don't want to be naive and say and lump them together so Mm -hmm. when when I respond to that that's I just wanted to lay that out and then also bring up that although the data and the studies I was referring to before point that there is not consistent active discrimination that ultimately impacts salary, I can feel some women 
listening to this and saying, what are you talking about? What planet do you live on? Like, (laughs) you know, I can name all these times. And so I also just want to point out that's what data has shown. (laughs) And there's certainly plenty of times that, you know, I unfortunately could speak to experiences where I was not working with somebody who felt that, you know, the, the two were equal. Um, but that in mind, you know, I think to, I'll kind of reframe what you said, Dave, where it's like, you know, so, you know, who cares, right? If, you know, women, you know, by and large want, want more flexibility that comes at a cost and that cost is, you know, a quarter on every dollar. So why do we need to fix this? Why does it, why does it matter? You know? Um, And what I think is important to understand is that the people that are making the big decisions and, you know, making new technologies, designing the products, you bring your own experience to it. So you bring, you know, your whole background, whatever socioeconomical class you're from. And if everybody is fundamentally the same, you know, then what you're creating the product, the offering you're serving is leaving out a lot of people. And the example I can think of is as I've said, you know, I have three young children and we had to buy a minivan because we needed a car that would fit three car seats in it. (laughs) And that was one of the first like shocking things we discovered when we realized we were having twins, (laughs) but, and I, I will say it's a used car. So perhaps this problem has been fixed, but it's got those sliding doors on the side. Those doors shut way too fast. And if whoever the design engineer is or whoever was leading the market research or, you know, looking at the company did not have a toddler who wants to push the button (laughs) every day and have a parent that just is having a heart attack that this thing is just you know, not moving too fast or not sensitive enough to something blocking it. But I get so stressed out habitually from how fast these doors close. Um, And if there were a product that, you know, had this as a feature or just was something that made my life easier, I would, no joke, I would sell that minivan and (laughs) get something different. And there's a million different things that, you know, we're, leaving out because, you know, again, on like the racial area too, that you just don't experience because you're a certain demographic mm-hmm. and there's plenty of, you know, revenue and profit and things that corporations, even the hardest of hearts will care about yeah. <laughs> when you are in that make it very valuable to have a collection of backgrounds being the ones that make your decisions. Mm-hmm.